Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 398. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to tell you about FinTech Nexus LATAM, happening in Miami on December 13th and 14th. Latin America continues to be the hottest fintech region on the planet, and our 2022 event will feature all the leading players. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you'll meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Register at fintechnexus.com slash LATAM and use the discount code PODCAST for 15% off. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Patrick Gautier. He is the CEO of Convera. Now, Convera is a relatively new brand. It was created to acquire Western Union Business Solutions, a division of Western Union, which everybody knows. And this is their business-to-business payments, cross-border payments, which we we obviously talk about in some depth exactly what they offer. And you know, we talk about the different use cases, the different geographies, the opportunity that's in front of them. We talk about you know, how global commerce is sort of yearning for a simpler, more predictable process here. We talk about crypto, and uh, Patrick has some pretty strong views there. It was really interesting. And we talk about regulation and compliance, something that is so critical when you're dealing with payments to pretty much every jurisdiction in the world. We also talk about Patrick's time at Amazon and how that has shaped Convera today. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Good afternoon. Okay, well, let's get things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've had an interesting career to date. Why don't you give us some of the highlights? In a nutshell, I'm a guy who loves to build products and teams and businesses. And I've been in the uh, fintech industry since before anybody knew how to spell fintech. (laughs) Right. I first started at Visa working and even before Visa working on chip cards and sort of a lot of predecessors to contactless. I introduced contactless and you know, tap payments in the US. I've worked for PayPal, therefore did a lot of work on, um, on e-commerce and wallets. At Amazon, I built Amazon Pay. And a year ago, I joined Convera as the CEO. Yeah, and that is one heck of a resume that you have. You probably uh, some of the biggest names in in global fintech that you've worked for. So, I know that was this was previously Western Union Business Solutions. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you kind of found out about them, how you kind of were attracted to them, what you saw as the opportunity when it came to Western Union Business Solutions. I have done a lot of work in um, retail payment. Sort of the last 20 years, so much has changed when you think about it, right? 20 years ago was the beginning of co-brand cards and people were starting to adopt debit here in the US. You still had a lot of checks around, et cetera. And fast forward 20 years later, we pay with our phones and lots has changed. Not so much in B2B, in commercial payments. Right. And when you think that commercial payments globally are about five times the size of personal payments, you kind of envision a pretty big uh, market opportunity. And my sense has been for a little while now that it was time for innovation to reach uh, commercial payments. And so I started to sort of ponder about what it could look like uh, Mm -hmm. for the last couple of years. 
and then got a call from our investors at, at Convera who who wanted to discuss about their investment thesis in, in uh, Western Union Business Solution. One thing led to another, and eventually I came in as CEO. The thesis is one that says, essentially, this is a big universe. So we estimate the revenue pool that Convera plays into is about $55 billion globally. Mm -hmm. So the big opportunity, not a lot of transformation in the last uh, last 20 years. You're starting to see, indeed, some various types of fintech and electronic payments and uh, better management of account payables, etc. But overall, for the most part, it's still is the way things were done 20 years ago, in spite of the fact that if you think of where the infrastructure of companies have evolved over the last 20 years with the emergence of clouds and various types of ERP tools, lots around payment has changed. And so our thesis was, if we we have here a, a company that has deep know-how on how to deal with cross-border payments, been doing it for several decades, has deep know-how in risk and compliance, which are rather fundamental, has a big book of business and a big bank network. We're we're the largest non-bank cross-border commercial payment company. And so if we modernize the products and the capabilities, sky's the limit. And so I came to this with a notion of Western Union is a company that cares deeply about its customers and is very service-oriented, but not necessarily one that makes technology-first type of strategy. And with my background, I thought, if we bring uh, technology in the mix here, we're going to take a good company and make it great. Right, right. Well, Western Union, obviously, very um, well-established brand, uh, been around for over a century, I'm sure. And uh, I think it was the... 75 te- years, yeah. Yeah, the Telegraph, right, was sort of exactly. their uh, innovation that they began with. But so then you talk about the payment business, B2B payments, but Western Unions is very much focused on cross-border. So are you looking at the opportunity in a cross-border context only or in a broader opportunity? Our Certainly our center of gravity is cross-border. We do support you know, domestic. I mean, if, if you're able to support well cross-border, you're competing in the Olympics. So domestic payments then is like competing in the regionals. Right. It's much simpler from an execution standpoint. So we support domestic no, to the extent that an integrated solution is important for our customers, but the core of our know-how is in cross-border. We make, you know, whether it's spot payment, we make cross-border payments simpler. And one of the attributes of global commerce is often companies are making payments for something in the future. And this is where our know-how in the hedging comes into play and where our value proposition is helping CFOs have a predictable cash flow. Mm. So let's just dig into that a little bit. Maybe you could just explain kind of the core product offering today. So we are in the business of providing payments on a global basis. And we we have effectively a settlement network. We're partnering with 60 banks around the world, support uh, about 140 currencies, are really have customers in 200 countries. And our customers need to make cross-border payments. Now, we have clients that are in the in the C2B business. So for instance, education, uh, higher education, where students want to make a payment for their tuition Mm -hmm. uh, from their country of origin. We have uh, clients that are in the B2B business, for instance, import-exports companies that have to pay their suppliers often at a future date. And we have customers that are in the B2C business. So for instance, pension companies or payroll companies 
where the recipient of the payment is in a different country than the source of the payment. In all of those cases, we support two fundamental capabilities, either the capacity to make a payment now, and we handle basically all of the risk and regulatory and, and Forex component of this, or to make a payment in the future. And to make a payment in the future, we can either provide our clients with very simple forwards type of, uh, of options, we're guarantee you for a certain amount of time an exchange rate, or some pretty complex hedging products for the more sophisticated companies that is trying to manage in a, in a more active way uh, the foreign exchange risk. When our clients are managing the foreign exchange risk, what really we're doing is we're helping them build different types of insurance. We are not a speculative, a speculation company. We don't trade on our books. What we allow is our customers to not uh, be victim of currency volatility, uh, of which, as you know, there's been quite a lot lately. Right. So you've obviously detailed a number of use cases there. I mean, is your offering really like a web-based? Is it app-based? I mean, it's very different from a student sending a payment to a college across border than it is for you know a large enterprise company sending it to another large enterprise company for possibly millions of dollars. What's the technology behind what you're doing? The core platform itself, you know, sort of moving money across borders, settling, basically clearing and settling, risk management, compliance management, you know, the core components, we often sometimes refer to them as primitives, are the same regarding the use case. What changes a lot is uh, certainly the user interface and the orchestration. Right. So we support user interface you know, via a web interface where the person can enter their payment. There's still a fair amount of business that actually gets also carried over the phone, especially in the hedging side. This is often an expectation of clients, especially see a lot of that, for instance, in Asia. We also have programmatic you know, API-based integration with the systems of our clients, or we, we may receive, for instance, in the case of pension funds, we may receive batch files that then we execute against. So we have different ways of receiving the request for payments of our clients. We then have a, an orchestration engine, a settlement engine that allows us to process the transaction from you know, known accounts, that of the sender, to known accounts, that of the recipient. Mm -hmm. Right. So then, I mean, you talked about 200 different countries. That's pretty much every country in the world. I think there's not pretty that much, many. Yeah. Not that That's many more. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> obviously there's going to be different geographic corridors that have the majority of the traffic. What, what are those? Where are you seeing the most activity? Our business is very strong in all the um, Anglophone countries. So US, Canada, UK, Australia, for instance. Generally, what you will find is a correlation between just the size of the economy and the size of the cross-border transaction. So even though we trade in 140 currencies, the majority of the volume is actually in, in the G10 currencies. It's very useful to have the long tail, the, the exotics as we call them, because then we provide to our customers one a one-stop shop for transactions around the world. But the vast majority of commerce is con is contained within the G10 economies. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so then, so I guess, like, I'm thinking about North America here, where U.S. and Mexico massive remittances type economy. But I guess that's really the more the retail side of Western Union, not sort of what you're doing. Is that not a major geography or geographic corridor for you guys? U.S. is an interesting geography, and and here's the reason why because. Everybody in the world uses dollars. 
And so right. the the cross border transactions uh, to and from the U.S. and the the foreign exchange uh, needs are very different in the U.S. than any other countries in the world. But we do have customers in the U.S. in particular. You know, where we work a lot with universities and higher education institutions. Well, I imagine too. There's a lot of countries in the world where you're like the trade is in U.S. dollars, right? So exactly. How are you handling that when sometimes it might be a U.S. dollar to a U.S. dollar, but it's neither of those countries are part of the U.S. So yeah, it it could be U.S. to U.S. But the truth is, what we you know, if a buyer and a seller, or a sender and a recipient, are in two foreign countries, so in other words, the U.S. dollar is not necessarily their native currencies. Uh, then they have to do, you know, in order to do a trade U.S. to U.S., they would have to do two foreign exchange transactions. We actually are able to then offer to those customers a capacity to basically execute their their payment or receive their payment in their own currency, right? And and handle all the forex aspect for them. The largest currency pair in terms of volume is U.S. to Euro, for instance. Mm-hmm. But other like big currency pairs, you know, U.S. to uh, to British pound, U.S. to yen, for instance, uh, very consistently drive a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Right, got it. Okay, so globalization has been around for a while. It's still, even with a lot of the the changes over the last few years, there's still a huge amount of trade happening between countries, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. So, I imagine people want a a simple, a predictable, you know, cross border process for their transactions. How how does Convera uh, deliver on that? I think uh, we need to hire you for our our marketing team because you've described <laughs> you've described exactly what our customers are asking us. They essentially are asking us, "Can you make this simple? Because cross border can be complex, mm-hmm. and can you also make it such that I'm confident in what's going to happen? Because the truth is, cross border also has certain elements of uncertainty, and so that's what we help companies do." In terms of making it simple, think, I'll give you a very practical example. Since February, since the events in Ukraine, a lot of sanctions were imposed, obviously, on a lot of entities and people even uh, Mm -hmm. out of Russia. And it's our job to actually help our clients navigate those, those sanctions. In other words, if any company does right now business with a sanctioned entity or sanctioned person, out of Russia, those have very uh, strict legal consequence for that particular company. One of the things that we did on, instantly as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine was to literally within hours have the sanction regimes that have been uh, voted by Western countries in place to protect our clients. And for those who had exposures to ruble trades, help them undo those trades and undo those payments so that they would be in compliance with the laws of their countries. This is one of the ways in which we basically help make cross-border simple. Mm. Then there's make cross-border predictable. And this is is where sort of the future-looking component uh, comes into play. We have deep experience in understanding uh, both the volatility associated with currencies, what drives that volatility, and as a consequence, the type of hedgings our customers need to look for. Uh, I would point, we just released a, uh, a report that looks at uh, global economy in 2023. It's called Are You Ready for 2023? In which we actually discuss what we think are the various scenarios for currency volatility, as well as the various drivers for those scenarios, in order to help our customers think through 
What are the type of risks that they want to protect themselves against? And then we help them put in place those strategies. So when someone is added to the sanctions list, because this has happened, it wasn't just on the invasion, there's been additional people. All the time. This could be in US dollars to British pounds, for example. There could be someone who's actually just recently been added to the sanctions list. What you're doing, what you're saying is, as soon as they're added, you automatically include them in your system. And when someone wants to go and pay them, you go, oh, hang on, this person's a sanctioned person and you kind of make them all aware. There's two aspects of this. First of all, when we onboard someone to either send money or or receive money to make payments, we validate that those people or entities are not on subject to sanctions. And then when we carry a transaction, we also monitor this as well. The laws related to both know your customer and validating transactions were really, really 20 years ago after uh, 9-11 were really, really elevated. You know, they predate this, you know, in particular to avoid uh, money laundering. But after the terrorist attack of 9-11, you saw a really more material body of laws implemented around the world. Part of our job is really to be the one that actually navigates this on behalf of our customers. We are licensed in uh, goodness gracious. I think we have about uh, 75 licenses around the world, right? Because money, moving money or being in, in options business are regulated in their businesses. And therefore, you need licenses from the financial authorities in order to do that. So I imagine there's going to be different rules and regulations depending on you uh, the country that you're operating in. So like, do you just have a massive compliance team that is up to date on every law in every country? Or how does it work? That's pretty much indeed. We have <laughs> We have a team, we have systems, we have also... Or a bunch of data sources that we apply to our systems and so on. And indeed, we have a pretty significant team, several hundred people around the world, whose job it is to make sure both we interact with the regulators around the world to understand uh, where they're headed and for them to understand what we do. And then secondly, we have the various systems and processes, the various lines of defense to make sure that Payments that are sanctioned by law are not uh, are not allowed to go through. This is a really important part of our business. It's one that's a little bit behind the scene, and that's okay. Our our role is to make it behind the scene for our customers because otherwise it'd be a headwind to their business. And we're here to help our customers grow with confidence. That's at the core of what we provide to the CFOs around the world. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about crypto and, and stable coins. Because there's been a lot of innovation, particularly in the cross-border space, where stablecoins have been used in, you know, in a lot of countries in developing world, especially. There's crypto companies that are trying to disrupt the cross-border remittances for businesses and for consumers. You haven't mentioned crypto yet. So is the back-end technology, I presume it's non-crypto based. And how do you kind of think about that space going forward? Our backend is crypto independent. We're able to move money across a range of different types of rails in order to to touch the both the recipients and the sender's payment account. Look, I'm on the record of being a crypto skeptic. Mm-hmm. The geek in me, you know, I'm a I'm an engineer at heart. I I started coding a long long time ago. The, the so the geek in me loves the elegance of the technology. That's great. The problem is the technology is not solving a lot of real problems. It's solving a lot of perceived problems. Right, And one of the issues that the technology so far has not really been able to answer is how does crypto really coexist with various monetary authorities in different countries? Mm -hmm. The truth is central banks 
have an important role to play in the economy of monitoring the monetary mass. When you're not on top of it, you have a situation like we have right now with, with inflation really uh, being hard to control. So the central banks have a really important role to play with monetary mass, and fiat currencies are an important lever for that. Right. I think as we see central bank-driven uh, digital currencies, definitely going to see an evolution of the role of crypto. But today, all of the various crypto assets that you have out there, including stable coins or just a traditional uh, crypto... I do not see them as a good unit of exchange, aka you know, a currency, but as a certain asset class that allows you, you know, across a portfolio of assets to make certain types of investments. I would posit as a proof of this that the volume of transaction on cryptocurrencies in crypto exchange mirrors fairly closely the value of the currencies themselves, the cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of indicative of, okay, when it goes up, people want more of them because they see the asset appreciated, appreciating. And when they go down, you know, people are starting to stay away from it because they don't, they don't want to trade into that asset. You see that in all of the recent results over the last 12 months of, of the different crypto exchange. I think it's indicative of the fact that crypto is an asset class, not a, a unit of exchange in commerce. And that's okay. Underlying technology has all sorts of interesting things, especially with DLT, that will come into play over time. Personally, what excites me in the near term is real-time payments. Right. I just want to go back to make sure I'm clear on something because you said you're currency agnostic. Does that mean that you can work today with someone who's wanting to send USDC to euros or whatever? Is that, Or is that just not a use case that comes up? It's not a use case that comes up. So I'm first and foremost customer obsessed. I'm always asking myself, what is it that you know, our customer needs? When I meet with customers, I always ask them, when we're at our best, what do we do for your business? I have yet to meet a single one of them that says, you'd be at your best if you were able to enable me to support cryptocurrencies. So right now, I think it's a, it's a very specialized part of asset trading, not yet a, a major type of rail for global commerce. But as it emerges, like I said, I'm, I'm customer obsessed. And as it emerges, we'll have the capacity to support it. And I think we'll see that happening when the uh, the central bank digital currencies uh, start to take hold. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. So, so then can you give us a sense of the scale you guys are at? Like how much volume is flowing through your pipes? Last year, we processed $170 billion. Okay, okay. That's, uh, that's quite a decent amount. I want to go back to sort of your background and you, you spent some time at Amazon because I'm interested about... I mean, Amazon and PayPal, for that matter, are extremely innovative companies, very much focused on the customer experience piece. What have you learned from your time there that you've been able to bring to the table at Convera? Those were awesome experiences, and I feel very lucky that I was able to work with both companies. There's two parts of Amazon that really are, are foundational for me. Uh, the first one is uh, a culture of customer obsession. And by the way, I would say uh, Western Union and Whoops definitely has a culture is deeply routed, grounded in servicing the, the customer. Customer obsession, though, goes a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And if you listen hard, for instance, or you, to what Amazon says, or you read the Jeff Bezos uh, shareholder letters, customer obsession is about being able to anticipate what the customer needs by focusing really on the problem that you solve. At Amazon, you know, I've had to present product concepts to Jeff. And 
the presentation doesn't start starts with pie charts with the size of the market. The presentation starts with a discussion with Jeff about the clarity that we have on the customer problems we solve. And once we have that, we move to the how are we going to solve it and will the experience be customer centric? And once you've answered that, you're able to ask the questions, how will we detect demand signals and how do we scale it? And therefore, what's the potential size of the market? But this is a company that always, always starts with, do we really understand what's important for our customer? I think it's something that for me is, is fundamental that I, you know, I'm taking to, to Convera in the sense of going beyond servicing our customer, going beyond reacting to our customer demand and really anticipating our customer need is a, an important shift, which we will affect in Convera. The second thing at Amazon is really heavy, heavy use of data. We had a joke at Amazon, which was in many companies, if you have a bunch of people around the conference room table and somebody asks, how high is the ceiling? You'll have some form of algorithm at play where either the boss says and everybody says the boss is right, or you average the opinion of everybody or the loudest voice in the room. There's some form of, of you know unspoken algorithm that will come at play to determine an answer. At Amazon, the answer is somebody go get a measuring tape. <laughs> right. And so data doesn't lie. Data data tells you what it is. And and so we spend an, an, an a lot of time at, at Amazon really making sure. We had the proper data to understand what was happening in the business. So in Convera, one of the very first things that uh, that I did was to create an instrumentation group. And we are leveraging our investment in technology to really instrument everything in the business to understand with precision what has happened so that we can make good decisions for our customers. Right. Got it. Okay. So then last question, as we're winding down 2022, I'd love to get your your plans, uh, your goals for 2023 at Convera? 2022 is the year of transition for us. Uh, you know, it's it's relatively complicated to extract a company out of another one. Right. And we have really to, in particular, undo a lot of interconnection between the infrastructure of what is Convera now and, and Western Union. We also did a lot of regulatory work in uh, in 2022 to get the the authorization of different authorities around the world. 2023 is the beginning of beginning of the transformation. 2023, mm-hmm. we are making very very major investments in technology to migrate all of the the technology that we have bought from Western Union to the cloud. There's all sorts of good reasons for doing this, but first, accelerated migration to the cloud. Second, we are starting to really redesign what we think the customer experience can be in a much, much more digital first view, streamlining a lot of the way in which the payments and and the various activities around payments are done. And so it's year one. And the last thing we also have to do uh, as part of year one is start to explain who Convera is. As you said yourself, Western Union you know, a well-established company, 175 years of history, clearly a very well-known brand around the world. Now we have to tell the story about uh, what is Convera and why Convera matters. I will say we did see it in our investment thesis as an opportunity because the Western Union brand is a very strong brand, but it's directly associated with to people remittance. Right. And it's not necessarily directly associated with business-to-business payments. And so we have an opportunity to tell the story about our competencies in business-to-business payments in a way that will not be uh, necessarily distorted by 
the implicit perception of what the Western Union brand is. Right, right. Yeah, this podcast obviously will help you get that word out, at least to the fintech absolutely. community. So, absolutely. <laughs> thank you very much, Patrick, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I love that anecdote that Patrick shared there about Jeff Bezos and the Amazon ethos of customer obsession. Well, I think every company in fintech would argue that they are customer-centric, customer-focused. There's a difference, and it might be only subtle, but it feels real to me, a difference between being customer-focused and customer-obsessed, which is obviously you know, driven Amazon to be one of the most valuable companies on the planet. And I think more companies in the fintech space could probably make that uh, make that subtle but very important distinction and move towards uh towards customer obsession. It's going to be very interesting to see Convera and how they develop with Patrick bringing a lot of the things that he learned at Amazon into that company. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.